right, we've been talking about the song, We Three Kings, the carol, We Three Kings, right? And uh, we've been telling you, I've been telling you just a little bit about that song. It was written in 1857 by a man named John Henry Hopkins. He wrote it for a Christmas pageant. And as we've known, as you know, uh, it's the first carol that was composed in the USA to gain popularity. All the other ones have a, their start outside, their origination outside the United States. But this one is the first one composed in the United States to gain popularity. As you know, three men are supposed to sing the three verses to represent they brought gold, he brought gold, he brought frankincense, and he brought... Thank you. You're with it. Good job. All right? Now, I learned some more. I'm going to share some more. I'll even share some more with you on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day about Mr. Hopkins. If you'll come back, you'll get to learn some more. He was a very, very uh, uh, excellent at what he did. He was very much well known for his writing as a scholar, um, as a poet, as an artist, as a musician. All of those things were part of who he was. A very, very, kind of, we might say, a Renaissance man, being to have skills in lots of different areas in his life. As he grew up, he played the bugle and he played the flute in the school band orchestra. He was ordained as a priest in 1875 or 1872. And as they said, as they're reporting about him, of course, they felt that he was like totally devoted to his parish people. He loved them so much. He loved children. And he loved to help people and be kind and in the midst of all that, this is a good thing, he was considered to be very down-to-earth. <laughs> Maybe he had a little bit of common sense. A lot of people don't have much sense. I'm not talking about five cents. I'm talking about common sense, right? What a beautiful thing to read about him and to learn more about him even through this Christmas season. So, we've enjoyed this song, but we have said that we question the accuracy of the first six words. We three kings of Orient. Are, I'm sorry, I forgot the R in there, right? We question the accuracy of those, as we said, okay? Because we don't know that there were just three, we know there were three gifts given, but there could have been more. We also question that they were kings because the word that is used in Matthew chapter 2 is not the word for kings, it's the word for wise men, probably astrologers seeing the star. So we know that. We know that from the language that it's written from, from the Greek into our English, that they were not kings, but they were wise men, men who sought out to know what it meant to look at the stars. And there's a historical thing happening here. And we know that they weren't from the Orient as we would define it, from the Far East, but they were probably from closer Persia or Iran, our modern-day Iran. So, let's read it again. It's worth reading. This is God's Word, Matthew chapter 2. We've read it each week, and we'll read it in a couple more times as we finish up this Christmas season about the wise guys. And it's been fun. I've had, had a lot of fun with it, and just learning new things and growing in it putting these sermons together. Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> There's a Bible found in front of you if you want to. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, first book of the New Testament. We're in chapter 2. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word. I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no. Father, again, this is your word. This is a true, accurate story. Reflected well in this song, We Three Kings. We thank you that we get to look at it, continue to look at it, and to see what you have for us even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see on the screen some, a picture of some uh, wise men. It's on the next slide there. There we go. There's some wise guys that somebody in our congregation made, and I asked him to send me a picture of it. So I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If you have some wise guys that are hanging around your nativity set, uh, take a picture of them, snap a picture of them, and send it to me, okay? Send it to my email at scott at majesticchurch.org, and uh, we'll see if we can put some of those cute little wise guys up on the screen on Saturday night and Sunday night, okay? And it would be even better if you had some pictures of the wise guys in a house. It would be a lot more accurate, all right? If they're in your nativity set, we'll accept that, okay? All right? But if we want to be accurate, we know that they visited a house and not the manger. So send me your pictures. I'd love to be able to put them up there. Have a little bit of fun with that on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You've got them. You know, you might have three or four nativity sets that are out during this time. It'll be fun to 
see what you've done. I'd also, just as a reminder, I'd also love to hear from you about what you're doing with your Jesus gift from our Advent conspiracy. How God has given you somebody to be able to do something for because they have a need. And you've said, Jesus, this is my gift. Because we we'll have to give Jesus a gift. It is his birthday. Right? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. You say, yeah, yes. <laughs> it is his birthday. That's what we're celebrating. It'd be love. I'd love to hear those stories because that encourages us to be able to do what God is doing in our life. I had that opportunity this week to give another Jesus gift and uh, to benefit somebody. And we put things together that you have given that we have in our benevolent fund to be able to help somebody this week. They had a very, very real need. And so we were able to do that because of your faithful giving too. Somebody else added some too to help out this family in their time of time of need. So share with me. Love to hear those stories of what, how God is moving in your life and helping you to meet the need. So we said this about the story. What's true about the story? Well, the truth story, truth of the story is they were guided by a star, right? And we've called it uh, GPS, right? The global positioning star. We've also called it the God provided star. Somebody else wrote in and said it's the guiding purposely star. And somebody wrote in this week to me and said it's God's perfect salvation or God's perfect star. I came up with one even this morning, guidance provided by the star. So think through. Think through it. Send them to me. It's fun to be able to share how you're looking at it and what God's being done. But they were guided by the star, GPS, right? We had also they came to worship. When they came and Herod was troubled when he heard there was another king. The leaders knew the location from knowing, the religious leaders knew the location from the fact that they knew Micah and the prophecy that had been given. We know that as Micah 5.2 now. They just knew it in the book of Micah. We know that it was a child in a house. Three times it says it was a child. Got to worship him. And we said last week that offering incense and worship to a man or a child was downright shocking. I mean, think about it. Here's a child in their home, and they come, and they offer worship to him. We would say, oh, that's heretical. No, but it's who it is that makes it right. The Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, God's salvation. We know also that they brought their gifts. They brought these meaningful, prophetic gifts that God had put into their mind. Gold is a precious tribute to a king, saying that he is royalty, that he is king, and a symbol of his kingship on earth and also in heaven. Help me out on the next slide here. Repeat with me. You just sang these words, but let's say these words, all right? Born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Our men's Bible study on uh, Wednesday nights, who are getting close to finishing it, someday in a couple more years we'll be done with Revelation. The guys are in the study now. Hank's doing a great job leading us, very in-depth. But I was reading through there, and we're in chapter 19, and we come across this word about Jesus someday. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, help me out, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was king when he was born. That's his role. But he's coming again someday as the king and to make things right and to put things right for us. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Handel's Messiah. Stand when we do that. I'm going to ask you to stand as I'm going to give you another doxology, even as we finish today. They brought gold, but they also brought frankincense, right? The Magi affirmed that he was no ordinary man. He's both fully man and God, deity, divine. But it also represents, we said last week, it represents the priestly ministry of Christ. Specifically, that he is the great, perfect, eternal high priest, as we studied last Sunday. Help me out. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. As we went through the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews contrasting the Old Testament priest and Jesus as the high priest. For we don't have a high priest who can sympathize with us, right? Since then we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's done his work. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He is the high priest. His death made possible to have this relationship with the Father. The veil is torn in two, separated by God himself when he died on the cross so that we know we can go right into the direct presence of God without a priest, without a mediator, because Jesus is the mediator among us. They brought myrrh. The Magi affirmed in that that Jesus is the Savior who is going to die. Myrrh. Next slide. There we go. Say it with me if you would. Myrrh is mine. It's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. Sealed in a stone cold Powerful they are, telling us about Jesus, the Savior, what He's going to do for us. Now, myrrh was a perfume. We find it being used in Esther, chapter two, as Esther is going to before the king says this. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period for their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices, spices, spices and ointments for all the women. It was a, a perfume. It was used in their beautification, their presentation to the king. But it was also a preservative. It was kind of an embalming agent to be laid upon the body. John chapter 19 says this, Nicodemus also, who earlier had gone to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That's a lot. So they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So myrrh is a, a perfume, but it's also a, a preservative that was used in the, after the death of somebody during that day and the custom of the Jews. But it was also something to relieve pain. Mark 15, 23, when Jesus was on the cross as the Savior, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. He didn't take it because he wanted to make sure that when he died, he died on his own accord. <clears throat> There's nothing holding him back from his death on the cross for us. 
So what's this mean, Jesus the Savior? Jamie did a great job of bringing out that whole theme in her kids' sermon this morning. Well done. I appreciate that so, so much. The gift of myrrh was given to foreshadow, to prophesy Jesus' death as a Savior. You know this verse very well. Luke chapter 2, 11 talks about it. The angels speaking to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Savior, thinking about that word. Savior is one who saves even as Jamie, she was a savior to her brother, stuck her foot out there with her toe. Isaac grabbed onto it. Even as my dad jumped in the Roaring Fork River many years ago when I was nine, dove in, saved me as I was floating down that river to likely death. He was a savior, not the savior, but he was a savior. Reflected Jesus' mission to deliver us from our sins. Messiah, he's the anointed, he's the promised one. Lord revealed his authority over sin, evil, death, and the grave. You see, the promise of Savior began many, 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 many years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane. After Adam and Eve had sinned and they'd rebelled against God and done their own thing and gone their own way, Jesus said this to Satan, to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring." And her offspring. He, it's not capitalized in the text, but speaking of Jesus, he shall bruise your head. But y'all only, Satan, y'all only bruise his heel. He's talking about the crucifixion. You're going to hurt him a little bit, but he's going to reign over you. He's going to have the victory that is yours. All the way to Genesis 3.15, the third chapter. In the word of God, he offers and says to us, there will be a Savior. The promise of the Savior is reflected in the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, says this, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. I had to look up that word lintel because I didn't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Yeah, it's the, the, the header beam. You know, it's like, but I've never heard that, that word before. So it's very interesting to know that. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, what's going to happen? I'll pass over. And no plague will befall you, destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Pharaoh just kept a bow in his neck, man. Not letting the people go. And God kept every opportunity. This is the 10th plague. God, God says, I've given you every opportunity to let my people go. And he kept choosing, no, I'm not going to do that. God said, this is going to be what's going to take place for you. You won't listen to me. Heed to me. And I'll take care of you. But he chose not to do that. And so they had the Passover as they slaughtered that lamb, that, that spotless lamb. They took that lamb and they took the blood and, and they ate of it and they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost. What does it represent? That Jesus someday will shed his blood for us. They didn't understand all that, but we certainly can look back and know this is what he was referring to, the promise of a Savior. The promise of the Savior was celebrated in the Red Sea deliverance. Anybody remember anything about that? 
Exodus 14 and 15, the Red Sea rules that we went through two, three years ago, right? The Red Sea rules that we got to, got to chapter 9 in the book. And COVID hit, and we had to wait almost two years before we could get to chapter 10 in the book. Because the chapter 10 was about celebrating what God had done. And that's what they do in Exodus 15. They write a song. It goes something like this. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. The Lord is God, and I will praise him. The Lord is God, and I will exalt him. I still got myself too high when I started that one. I need Derek up here to sing that for us. He can sing higher than me. Now, that's just a picture of it, but here it is. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing it to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and rider thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, because he delivered them from the Egyptians who were coming after them. Go back. Look at your notes on the Red Sea Rule. Pull out your book. Go back through that. What a beautiful study we had in those years, right before COVID hit us. But that's the promise of a Savior. This is what? He is my salvation. He is my Savior. Going on through Scripture is what I'm going to do this morning. The promise of the Savior's suffering is pictured in Psalm 22, 1, 16 and 17, where he prophesies. As David is writing this. He's prophesying, this is going to happen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said those words? Jesus. On the cross, the Savior, recognizing that, that the sin, your sin, my sin, that he's bearing in his body on the tree, God could not look at that. It separated him from the Father, that relationship in those moments as he bore the sin of the world, entire world. He made the sacrifice. He was the Savior, bearing our sin on our he goes on, it's his prophecy. For dogs encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Who? Did that happen to Jesus? Mm -hmm. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. The prophecy. A thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. And these things happen. He's saying, there will be a Savior. This is what's going to happen. And this promise of the Savior and His suffering is given to us. The promise of the one and only Savior is described in Isaiah chapter 45, 21. And there is no other God besides me, one who is a righteous God and a Savior. There's none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Jamie invited our kids, invited us. Have salvation today if you don't know Jesus Christ. To come and say, I need you. I need you to forgive my sin. That's what she said. We don't, nobody has to tell us that. We all know we've sinned. We all know we've done things that hurt God. We've done things that hurt ourselves. We've done things to hurt people around us. We're all in the same boat. And Jesus says, I've come to be the Savior. There's nobody else like me. There's nobody who is the Savior for you. We go on. 
The promise of the Savior's work on our behalf is in Isaiah chapter 53, 5 and 6. Oh my goodness. That's worth reading every Christmas season. I had a friend this week who texted me. I texted him last week. He lives now in Florida. And I used to come to church here. And uh, he, said, he said this, part of his text. He said, I took, I took a great understanding from one of your sermons about two years ago at this time, Christmas time. You referred to Isaiah 53, which I read this time of the year, every year. Because he looks and he sees, this is about the Savior. This is about Jesus Christ. You know, it's really encouraging to know that somebody learned something from one of my sermons. <laughs> I understand you have a lot going on. I have a lot going on. But man, you know, he took that. God spoke to him. And so he said, God spoke to me when you used that passage. And now, he said, basically, he said, my eyes are open to it. I, I see, I see him. As it says one song, says this, uh, it, you can see him with your heart if you stop looking with your eyes. Such a good thought. You can see him with your heart if you stop looking with your eyes. And that's what my friend told me. He said, man, this hit me. I, I finally understood what it was all about. In Isaiah chapter 53, his work, just a little bit of it, of the 12 verses that are there. But he is pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed spiritually. Are we like sheep have gone astray? All we like a sheep have gone astray, and each of us turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All your sins, all my sins, God laid upon his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with the heavenly Father. Number eight, or number seven. The promise of his faithful character, the faithful character of the suffering servant of the Savior is found in Hosea 13, 14, where Hosea says, But I am the Lord, he's quoting God, God giving this to him. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I was back there with you. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. I'm, I'm looking into that. I'm kind of reading between the lines. I think he's saying this. Listen, I was with you right there. I was your Savior right there. And guess what? Now, 700, 800 years later or so, I'm right here with you. There is no other Savior. Who I was back then has not changed. I still am the only Savior there is. Going on, getting to the New Testament. I'm not going in chronological order, these first two. I'm going in just in the book's order. The promise of the Savior was given to a man named Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph is trying to figure this thing out, man, this he's in a confounded state. Mary says, I'm, I'm with child, and he knows it's not his child. And he's struggling through all that. He wants to quietly divorce her, to be respectful to her because he loves her. God appears to him in a dream and says, 
Joseph, this is what is happening. Yeah, it's a crazy way to save the world, one song says. But this is what is happening. She's with child. And you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to bear the sins of all the people. Wow. What does Joseph do with that? He understands. He takes it. And he takes Mary. And she becomes his wife. He does the obedient thing to what God is calling him to do. And amidst the shame, amidst the embarrassment, amidst all that he had to face for the rest of his life. Because our son is Jesus and he will be the Savior and save his people from his sins. Now again, not chronologically because God spoke to Mary before Joseph. But what does Mary say in her Magnificat, in her beautiful, beautiful words in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 1, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. In the midst of all that's going on, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognizes what God is doing for her is bringing salvation to her. The reality of the promised Savior is realized by a town. In John chapter 4, you remember the story there? The woman is at the well. Jesus starts speaking to her. He says, I am the Messiah. And then she wants more. Man, give me this water. I can use this water all the time. I don't want to come back to this well. And she goes back into her town. She recognizes who Jesus is. And she tells the town about who Jesus is. And that town comes back. And they say this. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The whole town recognizes this is who Jesus is. Paul affirms that he's the Savior in Acts chapter 13. He says, Of this man's offspring, speaking of David, has brought Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. This is what goes through the Old Testament. There's going to be a Savior. We recognize that Jesus the Messiah, Christ the Lord, is the one who is promised. The reality of the promised Savior is, is that he will return again according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 21. But our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. It's not here. It's in heaven, our real citizenship. And he goes on to say that, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Are we, are we living as if our citizenship is in heaven? That's who we are. A child of God, a part of his family. God calls us to live that way. Are we living so that we're looking forward to his coming? He says we need to do that. Look forward. Your redemption draweth nigh. It's coming. He's coming back. This one who was here. The angel said in Acts chapter 1, said, same Jesus who you saw going above, he's going to return someday in the same way. For us, we need to be looking forward to that. Ladies, I mentioned earlier on that we have the Bible study on Thursday coming up, starting January 12th. <clears throat> book of Philippians. The study is going to be on the book of Philippians. Studied by Warren Wiersbe, who is my pastor. 
as I was at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago in the mid-70s. Great, great preacher, great writer. You've seen his works. I've quoted him many times. His series is called B. He writes commentaries on the books of the Bible, and they're all called B something, and this one's B Joyful. Well, that fits really well today, doesn't it? <laughs> be joyful as we lit the joyful, the joy candle. The reality of the promised Savior and His perfect timing in history is detailed in First Timothy chapter 2. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Father, our God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. They were waiting. They were waiting. They were waiting. Are you ever going to come? Are you ever going to come? Through the old Are you ever going to come? And he came at the perfect time, God's perfect time, for all of us, some 2,000 years ago for us, looking back. It was perfect timing that he was the ransom that all would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the reality, my last one, the reality of the promised, um, he was here and known Savior, quote, he was here and known Savior. What we call his incarnation is in 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and testified that Jesus, testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It's one of the first verses they learn in the Sparks program. John, who was with Jesus for three and a half years, looking back, writes and said, We've seen him! And now we're testifying about him, just as Jamie encouraged the kids to do and encouraged us to do, to testify about what he has done for us. We've seen him. We saw his hands. We saw his feet. We lived with him. We ate with him. We had fun with him. We laughed with him. We cried with him. We've seen him. And now we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John and the disciples, we could call them wise guys too. They lived with Jesus those years. What a privilege. Can you imagine what a privilege that would have been to be able to be with Jesus during those years? Wow. An incredible, incredible privilege and blessing to be a part of his life. But John reminds us in his gospel that's in his letter, but in his gospel, he reminds us of this. As Jesus came and appeared to Thomas, Thomas was having a hard time believing Jesus rose from the dead. He said, man, if I could just, if I could just see his hands, if I could just see his side, I'll believe. And Jesus appears to him, and Thomas exclaims, proclaims, seeing him, he says, my Lord and my God, John 20, 28. My Lord and my God, I, I see you, I recognize you have risen from the dead. And Jesus goes on and says to him, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? The answer is yes. <laughs> you have believed because you've seen me. But he goes on to say this, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Anybody here know what he's saying there? We all do. Have you all seen Jesus lately? No, me neither. Because he he's gone. But he says, blessed are you if you've not seen me and yet you have believed. My challenge today is this. And if you haven't believed, even as Jamie gave it today, if you haven't believed, believe today. 
Oh, you haven't seen Jesus? I understand that. But you're blessed if you will say, I understand what Jesus has done for me. That's why he came. He came as the Savior. Hmm. Guess what verse I have in my sermon too there, Jamie? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's his promise. And that's what he'd want for you. He loves you so much that he sent his Son to be the Savior, to do for you and for me what we couldn't do for ourselves because we can't forgive our sin. But Jesus, who is perfect, bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we could have a relationship with the Father and not perish, not have eternal life without Christ when we die. Because you will continue on. You'll either continue on with Christ or you'll continue on with Christ, without Christ. And I will tell you this. When you die, you will want to go to heaven. When you die, you will want to go to heaven. He wants you. He's done the work. Today, if you've not invited him to be a part of your life, say to him, Father, I know you love me. I know I've sinned. I've hurt you. But Jesus came and he died on the cross for my sin. And now I ask you, forgive my sin. Give me your life, your eternal life. And thank you for all you've done for me. And you're coming to earth and taking my place when I should have been the one on that cross, dying for my sin. Let's pray. Father, it's a tremendous, tremendous truth. You are that's why you came. And if you weren't that, you're the greatest fool that ever lived. Because we have documented there was a man named Jesus who came to this earth. And he didn't come just to be a great teacher. No, he came to be the Savior. And to mediate for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Father, today speak into these lives. That as we would all live, we would all leave, we would know that we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, that our sins have been forgiven, and that you've given us your life, your really good life. Your life that emphasized peace and joy and love as we've lit the candles. That gives us a hope for the future. That someday when we die, we will be with you, the one who gave his life for us. Through your work, Father, you've been drawing people. You draw all of us. No one comes to the Father unless they're drawn to you. And I thank you for this opportunity to talk about Jesus as the Savior. And that myrrh given by the wise guys represents what Jesus would do for us. Now we look back and we say,
this morning, if you've invited Christ to be a part of your life, would you share that with somebody? You could write it on the card, a connection card. It says there's the first time today, the first time commitment to you. We would rejoice so much to know that this day you've entered the kingdom of heaven. Those that do, that says they're throwing a party, the angels are rejoicing like crazy because you placed your faith, you believed what Jesus Christ came to do for us. Share that with us. We would love to rejoice with you. Thank you, Father, that even as Jamie has said, we are sent. We are sent to testify about what you've done in our lives, forgiving our sin, giving us through your grace a relationship with the Father. We are grateful. Thank you that we've had this chance to worship. And now as we, last few minutes, we celebrate what you've done. May it be meaningful what you've done for us as your Savior.